wonder how many of you know this book? Do you know this book? Raise your hand if you know this book. Okay, some of you know this book. What to Expect When You're Expecting was published in 1984. And according to USA Today, it is one of the 25 most influential books of the past 25 years. If you're familiar with it, you know that it is 600 pages of fact and fiction. (laughs) They say it's all fact, but I remember when I was newly pregnant, when I became a new mother, one of my recurring thoughts was, this is nothing like that book said it would be. Nothing at all. But perhaps I should not complain, because at least there was a book for me. If it's been a while since you've been to the parenting section of the bookstore, let me tell you that there you can find an overwhelming number of books for expectant mothers, but not so much for fathers. I mean, there are a few. And in this previously mentioned 600-page book, there are 20, 20 pages in one chapter entitled Fathers are expectant to. Since today's text is about Joseph, I thought we might consider some of those 20 pages, that we might consider some of the questions and the answers printed there, you know, the perspective, the words of expectant fathers. One reader writes, my wife is having every symptom in this book, literally nausea, cravings, and on and on. I don't know what to do. I feel so helpless. Another says, I had heard about mood swings during pregnancy, but I was not prepared for this. One day she's up, the next day she's down, and I can't seem to do anything right, he says. Another, another man says, I'm excited about the baby's birth but I'm stressed about handling it all. What if I can't keep it together? And the last, he says, I want to be a good father, but the thought of it is terrifying. I've never seen or held, much less loved, a newborn. Now, there are some other questions in the chapter. And many of them are better dealt with in a seventh grade health class than they are in worship because they refer to what the Bible refers to as marital relations. But we can't completely ignore that piece because it tells us something pretty incredible about Joseph. We don't know much about Joseph. I mean, did you know that he does not speak a word in the whole New Testament? He's only mentioned a handful of times. We know that his family home was in Bethlehem, a small town outside of Jerusalem, that at some point his family moved the 90 miles north to Nazareth. We know he was a carpenter, a builder is another way to translate that word. His father before him was a carpenter and his son would be too. We know he came from a distinguished family, the house of David. 
and we know he was engaged to Mary. Back then, engagement was not something that happened after a long romantic walk on the beach, and engagement was serious legal business. It was an arrangement between families, and Joseph was engaged to Mary. In addition to all of this, we know that Joseph was a righteous man. He was righteous, which meant that he wanted to do what was right, even in complicated circumstances. So let's consider the complicated circumstances that he finds himself in in this text today and what is right. The great preacher Fred Craddock says basically Joseph could have done, well, one of two things, he says. One thing he could have done was go about the town, get the opinion of other people. Because, you know, we all want the approval of those around us. So Joseph could have done that. He could have gone to the barber shop, to the coffee shop. He could ask his friends, you know, over the water cooler at work. He could have got on the phone and called his family. He could have posed the question on Facebook. So, did you hear about Mary? What do you think I should do? But he didn't. He didn't want to disgrace her. He didn't want to humiliate her. Then what was the right thing to do? Well, maybe he had some friends fresh from the synagogue who said, just do what the Bible says. You can't go wrong with what the Bible says. Well, Deuteronomy says that Mary is to be taken out and stoned to death in front of people. That's what the Bible says. Craddock goes on to say, there are people, perhaps you know some of the people, who are always thumping their Bible as if you can just open it up and turn to a passage and that'll clear everything else, everything up, as if the Bible is a book that has the answers in the back. It doesn't work like that because you can quote the Bible to justify just about anything. You can quote the Bible to justify killing a person. An eye for an eye, that's in there. Slavery, that's in there. Or if a man finds something displeasing in his wife, let him give her a divorce and send her out of the house. That's in there. Women, keep your heads covered and your mouths shut. Last week when I went out to introduce myself to the protesters, say I was the pastor of the church and invite them to come in, that's the one they quoted to me. She looked right at me and said, women are to dress modestly and keep silent in the house of the Lord. And it's in there. So those, there are those who would like to say, just do what the Bible says. But then there are those of us who know that the Bible is to be interpreted through the lens of who God is. God who is loving and kind and good and gracious. Which means that if in reading the Bible we ever find justification for abusing or humiliating or disgracing or harming or hurting others, especially when it makes us feel better about ourselves, well, such a reading is just plain wrong. And Joseph did what was right. Rather than 
publicly humiliate Mary. He planned to dismiss her quietly, to leave her and her family with their dignity. And that was before the dream. Did you hear the text? There's a dream, and the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I think it's fair to say that every expectant parent, expectant father, expectant mother has prayed for a dream in which God says, do not be afraid. It's the theme of every parenting book ever. When I was first pregnant, I remember that someone told me that making the decision to have a child is a decision to forever have your heart go walking around outside of your body. And I smiled and nodded when she said it, but I didn't understand because I was too busy feeling ill studying on the fact and fiction of my soon-to-be parenthood. You didn't know me way back then, which is probably good because, how shall we say, pregnancy did not suit me. (laughs) I mean, you know people who are like beautiful and graceful when they're pregnant, who always feel well. My sister, she had twins and she always felt like a million bucks. I did not. I was miserable. Our girls are 17 months apart, which means that I was pregnant for three long years. If Andy were here, he would like for me to point out that it was three very long years. Maybe that's how Joseph felt about pregnant Mary. You know, we don't really know because we don't know much about him except that he was righteous. And when faced with this choice, Joseph chose to do what was right, to not harm or expose or shame her, but protect her and love her and their child. We know that Joseph was a father to Jesus because we know this story. And we know the story about there being no room for them in the inn. And we know the story about how they traveled each year to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. You know that story and how when he's 12 years old, they lost him in the temple. And then they, well, they lost him and then they found him later. And as a parent, I've always found that story very comforting because they lost him, you know, on a road trip. And that means they were like parents with real struggles and real challenges and real questions. It's comforting. For anyone who's ever been a parent or parented. And I say parented because many of us have been parented by people who had nothing to do with the marital relations that led to our birth. Fathers and father figures They come into our lives through all sorts of circumstances, as teachers and as coaches and as mentors and uncles and stepdads and granddads and friends of the family and friends from church, all sorts of circumstances. Though none probably as strange and miraculous as Joseph's circumstances, but all sorts of ways 
And regardless of how they get there, once a child comes into your heart, well, your heart's outside your body. And sometimes that means you're afraid. Anyone who has ever loved a child knows this feeling, right? There's a little bit of fear before they're born and before they walk, before they learn to drive. When you take them to preschool, then you take them to middle school, then you take them to high school, then you take them to college, and then you walk them down an aisle. And some of you know this, and some of you know it in a way that I don't quite know it yet. Because as best I can tell by watching you, this business of parenthood is never going to end. I've seen you grieve for your 40 or 50 or 60-year-old who tells you that they're going through a divorce or that they're ill or that their babies are. They may be 70, which would make you 90. And no matter the age, it appears to me that your heart is still outside of your body. And every parent or everyone who's ever parented has prayed, asked God to help us not be afraid. It's what the angel told Joseph in the dream. Fear not. And I wonder how long that assurance stayed with him. I wonder if he like woke up the next morning and he felt a peace, you know, fear not, deep within his soul. Or maybe if he kept replaying the dream over and over again in his head so he would not fear not. Maybe if it was days or maybe only hours. Maybe the fear never crept back in. I don't know. But what we do know is that either way, fearful or not, he stayed with Mary. And he parented Jesus, and he loved them both. Joseph was a righteous man who knew that if reading the Bible leads to justification for abusing or humiliating or disgracing or harming or hurting others, especially when it makes us feel better about ourselves, then such a reading is just plain wrong. Because God is love. God so loved the world that God sent God's only son, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The angel said, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So we need not be afraid to do what is right to choose love. Doing so reminds others that they need not be afraid. For soon the angel will say, fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all the people. But that's another story for another day. While we're waiting, fear not, do what is right. Choose love every single time. Choose love.
Amen.